Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And everyone said, amen. 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 So just to clarify real quick, this was originally going to be a three-part series as we looked at wives, husbands, and kids. We're going to look at children today and the gift that children are as we looked at Sanctity of Life Sunday. Church got canceled last week because of the weather. That changed a bunch of things. So we had to figure out where we're going to do the message on children or the message on husbands. And uh, I just want you to know I made the call. I felt like it was important for us as a church in our time here and now, knowing our unique struggles, that it was important for us to come full circle on the marriage piece. So we looked at wives two weeks ago. We're looking at husbands today. And that's not because we don't care about the cause of life. If you know anything about Peace Church, it's a near and dear cause for us. We're not afraid to talk on it. Um, And so I also want to say, if you haven't checked out Alpha Women's Center, make sure you do. But today, I want to come full circle on the marriage aspect of what we started a few weeks ago as we look at the call on husbands today. And if you are new to Peace Church, I'll just tell you now, um, you have to go back and listen to the sermon on wives so you get the balance of what we're talking about here. But as we look at the call on husbands today, I just want to let you know Something very clear here. I myself am a husband, um, by no means a perfect husband. So I want you to know that uh, I have a hand, a mirror up here. Because hear me on this. I am preaching for the glory of God, but I'm preaching at one man today. And it's the guy that I'm looking at right now. And my prayer is that for the other husbands in the room, that you hear of something of value and encouragement and challenge, something you can take home as well. But I want you to know This sermon is at the man in the mirror, but for the glory of God. So let me start with this question. What makes a good husband? What's your standard? Or maybe I can ask like this. Who's your example of a good husband? So here's what I want to do. I want to look at some famous TV husbands over the last few decades, and we can help figure out, help each other figure out who is the better of these husbands. Let's go back and look at, like, One husband per decade starting from the 90s. So going back to the 90s, let's look at a TV husband. We can figure out how good of a husband is. Now, now I will say a lot of these guys will be known as their role as a father, but let's think about them as a husband. So going back to my my time, the 90s, the first guy I want to look at, see if you know him, Uncle Phil. (laughs) Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, who knows who this person is? Okay, here we go. All right, so that's in the 90s. So let's go to the 2000s. Uh, think about Uncle Phil, but now let's go to the 2000s. Another famous TV husband from that time. Who remembers Red from that 70s show? <laughs> okay. Now we're getting a little bit closer uh, in this next one to, to our time, to the 2010s, 2010s. I'll be honest, I never watched this show, but I heard a lot about it. Whoever watched This Is Us? Heard a lot of interesting things about that, that man's portrayal as a husband. Now, as I, I, just, I just kind of alluded to this, the, the closer we get to our time, the more I feel out of it. So this next, this next TV dad, I'll be honest, I've never seen an episode, but I hear a lot right now about this TV dad, very popular right now. I wonder if you know who Bandit is from Bluey. <laughs> I heard he's good. I don't know. Uh, so... Think about these guys. Think about their role as a husband. And let's go ahead and take a, take a vote for a second here. Who thinks, that who, who, on, on what you see on the screen, who's the best example of a husband? Who thinks, like I do, Uncle Phil? Uncle Phil. What? 
Okay, okay. Uh, Red from that 70s show. Anyone? Couple? Uh, Mustache guy from This Is Us. I don't know his name. Okay. I feel like this is going to be overwhelming for Bandit from Bluey. Who thinks Bandit from Bluey is the best husband? Okay, interesting. I would love to sit and discuss the qualities of what makes each one of these guys a good or a bad husband in your mind. But here's the, here's the base question for you. Uh, are they really good husbands? Are they really good examples? Or here's another way to put it. Is there a better example? Is there a better standard than what we just see on TV and in culture? I'm going to submit to you today, not only do we have a better example, not only do we have the best example, but we have the ultimate standard of what a husband should be from a man who himself was actually never married in the way that we discuss it, and his name was Jesus Christ. And so know what I'm talking about. We're going to have to turn in our Bibles. And so, again, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the call for wives to be selfless, and today we're going to look at the call for husbands to be sacrificial. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 25 to 33. Now, if you are just joining us, let me just clarify a couple things to kind of set the stage here. We call this book Ephesians in the Bible. It's not really a book. It was actually a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in a city called Ephesus, and the people there were called the Ephesians. So Paul writes to the Ephesians, the Christian Ephesians in Ephesus, and in this letter, he's telling them how to... um, He's, he's, he's clarifying some, some doctrines of the Christian faith, clarifying some of those things. He's talking about what it means to be a Christian, and he gets to this point in chapter 5 where he talks about how do you have a godly home? What does it mean to have a Christian home? And so he talks to wives in the first part, and in the second part he talks to husbands, and that's where we will pick up. And so would you hear God's word, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Here's God's word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. Let's pray, and we'll continue. Let's pray. Father, heaven and above, Father in heaven above, Lord, we need you. We so desperately need you. This church needs you. I need you. The marriages of this church family need you. And so we pray this morning by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and by the truth of your word that we would see rightly the calling that you have for each of us. But particularly this morning, Father, we pray for the husbands and for the future husbands of this church family. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So the lesson here today, the main point, if I give you one thing, I'll be completely honest with you here. The main point for today is embarrassingly simple. The main point for today is so simple 
that I would have gotten marked down in my preaching class in seminary for this. But I think it's not just simple, but I think it's incredibly challenging. If there's one thing that I want you to remember, not just for today, but all the days of your life, it would be this. Husbands, Jesus is your example. Husbands, Jesus is your example. You may scoff at the simplicity of this, but I'm telling you, men in the house, husbands, if you, if you live into this, if you go through your life and through your marriages, Jesus as your example, it will be hard, but I'm telling you, when you pass from this world to the next and you are walking through those pearly gates, you will hear the Father of all creation say to you, well done. Simply be like Jesus. Okay, go ahead. Go home, go home and have brunch now. We're all good. That's all we need to know. As we look at this passage, we're going to pull out some things of how we can be like Christ. And so, three things from this very rich passage. Husbands, with Jesus as your example, be men of God's word, be men of Christ's love, and be men of sacrificial leadership. So let's go back and let's start first one. Husbands, with Jesus as your example, be men of God's word. Let's just walk through our passage together. Uh, if you noticed, if you're reading along with me, you'll notice that the first three verses are actually one big sentence. So let's walk through it together. Starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Okay, sanctify means to be made holy. It means to be made complete. Jesus died for the church so that we could be made holy. We are the church. The church is the bride of Christ. That's what sanctified means, that we may, we're made whole. We're made holy. We're made complete. This is what Jesus does for his church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, meaning God's word, God's eternal truth, the scriptures, the Bible, God's word is how Jesus uses, is what Jesus uses to sanctify, to wash, to build up, to make us whole. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Do you hear the tender love in this? Jesus Christ loves his bride, the church, us. He loves his bride and he wants his bride to be with him. He wants to be with her. This is the type of love that poets wish they could write about. That he might present the church to himself with splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves the church and picks us up and dusts us off and cleans us and makes us whole and brings us into his presence. One of the primary highlights of this passage is that Jesus Christ died for the church to make her holy. That's, again, that's us. He died to take away our sins so that we could live without guilt or shame before God. But not only this, I want to go back and look at, a, at this verse 26 real quick here. Go back to verse 26. It says this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, God the Son, when we look at his life, one thing that we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus was immersed in the word of God. Jesus read from, studied, memorized God's word. On his earthly life, Jesus spent time saturated in the scriptures. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and through his sacrifice, Jesus builds up his church. Or as Paul puts it here, he cleanses her by the washing of water. The notion here is that Jesus Christ cares for his church, 
by the truth, by the word of God. Jesus Christ cares for his church by the word of God. And so men, listen to me, you can't lead a godly home if it's not founded upon and guided by God's work. And guess what? That's your job to do, just like Jesus does for the church. So to have a home guided by God's word and for men to be saturated in God's word, what does that actually look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like a man listening to the Bible on audio on his way to work. It looks like children seeing their dad read the Bible for a few minutes before he goes to bed. It looks like a church parking lot on a cold Saturday morning at 7 a.m. full of trucks because men are gathering to read the Bible and pray together. It looks like a church full of men bringing their families so that they could sit under God's preaching, the preaching of God's word and they could worship Jesus together. It looks like a dinner table with the father at the head opening the Bible and reading a psalm before dinner starts. It looks like your adult children sitting next to you while you are on your deathbed passing from this life to the next and they are reading from your own Bible. And then when you pass, they take that Bible and they give it to your grandkids and they say, your granddad read from this every day. It looks like a conversation between a husband and a wife where the husband starts the sentence by saying, hey babe, I was reading the Bible and I wanna share with you what I wrote. That's what it looks like. Wives, if your husband started a sentence like that, would that be a blessing to you? Speak up, women, I can't hear you. Would that be a blessing to you? This is what we want. I guarantee it's what we want. It should be seen as more manly to crack open your Bible than it is to crack open a beer. If that was a, a better notion in our society, I guarantee things would be so much better. Our homes, our families, men, our wives, and our lives are built up when we know the Lord, when we know his word, and when we walk in his ways. And if you're here at church, guess what? God's already got you started. If you're here right now, I don't care what the week was like that you came from. God put you on a path that starts right now. Or maybe it's continuing. But if you're here right now, then God has already set you on your path. So grab a Bible. I'll give you one if you don't have it. Grab your Bible, bring it home, and commit to it. Jesus cares for his church by the word. Men, we need to care for our wives the same way, by the word. We need to be men of God's word. Secondly, we need to be men of Christ's love. Let's go to verses 28, 29, and 30. It says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So what we see here is this passage continues the parallel of Jesus and the church with husbands and wives. But look at these descriptors. Look at these qualifiers here. Husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives like Jesus does for the church. So the word nourish here. In the original language that this was written in, the word there is ektrepho, which is the intensified version of trepho, which means to feed. Meaning we are to supply our wives with what they need so that they may grow and flourish, that we nourish them, not just physically, but spiritually. And cherish. We're to cherish our wives. Now, before we talk about this word, let me just ask the husbands a question here real quick. How many of you husbands have a wife who says that she's always cold, always complaining that she's cold? Anybody? 
Some of you are giving me the wink, but you don't want to raise your hands. Okay, so this word kind of helps us out here. The word here for cherish is the word thalpo. Now, thalpo means literally to warm up. But the Greeks use this word as an idiom just like we do as well. We talk about how something would warm our hearts. They use the word warm in the same way. That to cherish is to warm our wives' hearts. Now, whether she's too hot or too cold, the notion here is that we cherish her, that we make her comfortable, that we care for her tenderly. Now, the other day, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, I was listening to this guy, and he was talking about his marriage. And he was talking about how he himself was challenged to get to know his wife better. And so he was challenged to ask his wife this, this, this question, when did I turn you on the most? Now, let me just say real quick, we will keep today's message PG rated. So you're going to have to pick up when I'm laying down, okay? So when did I turn you on the most? So we asked her this, and she said, I was the most turned on by you on this day that I had a really, really bad day. And you knew I had a bad day. And so you vacuumed for me without me asking. And he said, Oh, I remember that day, and I remember how it turned out. Wink, wink. <laughs> and then he said this, and he's like, so I'm thinking to myself, I've just unlocked the secret. So I went and vacuumed the next day, and nothing happened. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, because caring for our wives cannot be a means to the end to end the day in the bedroom. It's a means for us to be Christ-like as we are called but while we're on the topic, let's take a moment and let's talk about being intimate. Again, I will keep this PG rated, so you're going to have to pick up when I'm laying down. But here's what I've come to find out through my time in ministry and talking with many couples over the years. Most couples will get romantically physical, but few couples know how to be truly intimate. They may have sex, but they don't have true intimacy. And here's why. Men are willing to be romantically physical with their wives because they get to exert a level of dominance. That's a drive in every man. So they will be romantically physical with their wives, but not intimate, because to truly be intimate is spiritual, and it takes vulnerability. A man's heart is to dominate. Men are comfortable with dominance. We're not comfortable with vulnerability. Why? Because it feels like weakness to men. This is why men are more than willing to have sex with their wives, but it's nearly impossible to get them to pray with their wives. Because prayer is intimate, and it takes vulnerability. And so men, you have to understand that you can't have the satisfaction of dominance if you're not willing to have the responsibility of dominion. Now let me explain. See, husbands can attain dominance Men can attain dominance through strength and through fear. But that's a toxic environment. And no one likes to be around someone like that. And if you're married to someone like that, then men, if you're like that, then you have a wife who probably either resents you or hates you. But the good man will have a godly dominion over his home. Dominion meaning he presides over his family with truth and love, just like Jesus does for the church. A godly dominion results 
not in a restrictive environment, but in an environment where a wife and a children will flourish under his sacrificial leadership rather than live in fear under his selfish dominance and probably narcissism. But here's what I found out further compounds the problem. Okay, here's what further adds to the issue here. Again, I say this after speaking with hundreds, if not thousands of men if my, in my years in ministry. Too often, women are spiritually stronger than their husbands, which puts the husbands in the weaker position, which men typically don't like to be. And it's all the more reason that they don't pray with their wives or lead them spiritually. And so here's the result. Couples will be romantically physical, but there's no true intimacy because intimacy is brought brought through the spiritual elements. We are, yes, we are physical beings, but we're also spiritual beings. And if we don't engage the spiritual side of who we are, we're never going to unlock the true depths of our marriage and the intimacy that we can have in it. I remember I did premarital counseling for this young couple couple years ago. Now, we don't marry a Christian to a non-Christian. And so they filled out some paperwork, and they said that they both were Christians, and so they, they came into my office. I did premarital counseling with them. I, I didn't really know them, and I was getting to know them through our, our first session. We had a great first session together doing premarital counseling, and it came to the end of our session, and I said to them, I said, okay, hey, guys, great, great first session. Uh, why don't we close in prayer? Why don't you guys pray for us? And they looked up at me, like I just threatened to kill them. And I realized in that moment, you two have never prayed together, have you? And they said, no, we haven't. And I said, well, guess what, guys? That both ends and starts right now. And listen, I get it. Praying in, a, in the presence of a pastor is a weird thing. I wish it wasn't, but I understand that it is, especially for the first time. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave the room. And you two are going to pray together for the first time. Otherwise, we're not going to have a session two. And so I walked out, and I saw them turn and face each other. And they grabbed hands, and they bowed, bowed their heads, and they started to pray. And I stood outside, and I waited a minute. And when they lifted their heads and the prayer was done, I walked back into my office, and I looked at this young girl, and her face was absolutely drenched in her own tears. And I'm telling you what I saw in that moment, what I saw was the fact that this young girl had felt like she was walking through a desert for their entire relationship and she finally got a glass of water. Men, if you don't pray with your wives, you're starving them. They are parched. It is what we are called to do. It's what we're meant to do. What I saw in that moment broke my heart. Wives, I know you're desperate for your, wife, for your husbands to pray with you and to pray over you. So here's what I'll say to you. Wives, listen to me. If your husband won't do it, then as his helpmate that, that God brought to him, you are the helpmate that God brought to him. If he won't do it, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab his hand and kindly and humbly, not in a condescending way, grab his hand, grab his hand and humbly ask, will you pray over me? 
And then men, what just happened was that the woman that God brought to you, your helpmate, she opened a door for you. So strap on your boots and walk through the door. And if you do and when you do, not only will you show her how much you love her in this, but your intimacy will deepen. Your relationship will strengthen. Listen to me. I know it's vulnerable. But listen to me. The person who wants to be dominant but doesn't want to lead is the type of person no one wants around. This goes for the business world. This goes for church world. This goes for marriages. The person who wants to be dominant but doesn't want to lead, nobody wants that person around. Yes, it's vulnerable, but I'm here to tell you, God has called you not to dominance, but to have a godly dominion over your life and your home. And you are to lead in the sacrificial way like Jesus does. And I guarantee you, when we submit and follow to Jesus leading in our lives, do you know what it leads to? Joy and flourishing. Jesus Christ was the greatest leader of all time, and his life was marked by gentleness and humility, as well as strength, as well as standing up and facing the crowd and speaking a truth. But he's also gentle and humble, and he nourished and cherishes his bride, which is the church, and that's what we are to do. Guys, hear me on this. Weakness is not being vulnerable when you pray with your wife. It's weakness not to. Weakness is not being vulnerable when you pray with your wife. It's weakness not to. It it is a false image of manhood that you're always tough all the time. That's not manhood. Manhood is embodied by Jesus, who was vulnerable, opened himself up, gave his life. Yes, stood for truth when it was unpopular. But men, I'll say it again for a third time. It's not weakness to be vulnerable and pray with your wife. It's weakness not to. The true man is the one who's willing to open himself up. And so, husbands, this is the level of leadership that God is calling us to. And don't forget, I'm looking at a mirror right now. And this leads us to number three. Be men of sacrificial leadership. Let's go to verse 31. It says this, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, we looked at this verse last week, and if you, if you were here, you, you remember, this is the first statement on marriage in the Bible. It comes from Genesis, but it doesn't stay in Genesis. Jesus Christ himself quotes this verse, and we also see it quoted here from the Apostle Paul. And this is what Paul says about it. He calls it a mystery. Verse 32, the mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. How? How does this passage from Genesis refer to Christ in the church? Well, it's right here. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's the gospel. Jesus left his father in heaven. He left his heavenly home to hold fast to his wife, the church. And they became one. This is why, yes, we talk about the church as the bride of Christ, but we also talk about the church as the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head, because we are connected to him. We are one. And in marriage, the same thing happens. Spiritually, we are united in Christ, and when a marriage happens, another spiritual thing happens as a husband and wife become one. Yes, it's a mystery, but it's also the gospel. This is why Paul says in verse 33, let each of you love his wife as himself. Why? Because you are one. You are one. And with this last verse from this section, we see the last call out of husbands and wives. And it says this, 
Let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this is the great cycle of love and respect that we know so well. Men, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, what I want to share with you, I, I, I will tell you, like, I, I, I'm sharing this from personal experience. I can't point to a journal of psychology to back this up. I'm just telling you, over my time of working with men throughout the years, I found this to be true. I can determine the amount of happiness and satisfaction a man has in his marriage with one question. And it's not how much time do you spend in the bedroom. It's this. It's when, it's when a man and myself are alone in my office as brothers and I ask him this question in the safety of my office just between me and him. It's when I ask this question. Do you feel like your wife respects you? Before he even says a word, just the change of his posture tells me everything I need to know. Does your wife not just love you, but does she let you lead? Does she empower you to lead? Do you feel that your wife respects you? I can tell by the look on his face if he is happy in his marriage or not. The man that has to constantly fight for leadership with his wife is a tired and a worn-out man, whether or not he shows it on his face. Ladies, ladies, please hear me on this. It will be very hard for you to have the husband that you want to have. It will be very hard for your husband to grow into the godly man that you want him to be if you are constantly fighting for control. Listen to me. As a man, I can tell you, your husband has battles. Battles that he fights from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to sleep. Your man fights battles, and you should not be one of them. On the flip, you should be the place where he goes to as a reprieve from, him, from his battles. You should be the place that he goes to, and he can drop it all at the doorstep. You should be this place for him that he can let go of everything that was and embrace just you. But when he fights battles all day long and comes home and has to fight another battle with you, I guarantee he is drying out as a person. And he will never truly become the man that he is called to be. Why? Because you are his helpmate. You are put in his life to help him be what he is called to be, just like he is for you. It goes both ways. The Bible is telling us that men are to love their wives and women are to respect their husbands. Yes, yes, and yes. 100%, this goes both ways. Love and respect needs to be shown on both sides. What we're talking about here is the great emphasis of the relationship. Yes, men, love and respect your wives. Yes, wives, love and respect your husbands. The great emphasis should be here on men loving their wives like Jesus loved the church. And wives, respecting their husbands as the church is meant to respect Jesus. Marriage takes two. But men, I'm here to tell you, it starts with you. The Bible has been telling us this for 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, God revealed how a marriage should work. Need I remind you that this, this is told to us before America was a country, before English was a language, before the great enlightenment. We were told how a marriage was meant to work. And I guarantee, even if I say these things, even if part of you that's culturally conditioned wants to push back a against it, I guarantee because you're a human, there's parts of you that resonates with what's being said here. 
If we let go of what the world says and embrace what God says, he is more glorified and everything will be right. But men, it starts with you. It starts with us, guys. Welcome to the burden and calling of being a man. But here's what I'm going to tell you, guys. This is in your blood. You were built for this. You were made for this. You are equipped and called to this. And where you are lacking in knowledge, the Bible provides the answer. Where you are lacking in strength, the Holy Spirit will step in. God has given you in yourself and through his goodness everything you need to be what he is calling you to be and what your wife needs you to be. But I'm telling you right now, it takes with sacrificing your pride every single day. When you get up and get out of bed, pride stays behind. It comes with sacrificing our pride every single day. But men, I'm telling you, this is what you get to do. You are called for this. You are, you are called to this. You are built for this. You're not some TV husband. You are a man of God with Jesus Christ as your example. So set yourself aside. Set your sin aside. Let Jesus take care of that and follow him as your example. And let the Holy Spirit be your strength and your guide who works within you. And let God lead you into a Christ-like leadership. You need to understand that Jesus Christ, his life was marked by his sacrifice. This is why most of us have a cross on the cover of our Bibles. The great symbol of the Christian faith is the cross, the symbol and sacrifice of Jesus. He died upon the cross. And so men, guess what? That should also be one of the markers of your role as a husband, sacrifice, that you give up your life for your wife. But listen to me. The cross of Jesus Christ was not a defeat. It was a victory. When we do this, it's not, it's not a defeat. This is the essence of victory. The cross of Jesus Christ was the greatest victory there ever was. For by it, he triumphed over Satan, sin, and death and rose again into resurrection. And with that, he brought salvation and reconciliation for all who would believe. Men, when you lay yourself aside like Jesus did, that's not weakness. That's not defeat. That's winning. That's winning for your home. That's winning for your wife. That's winning for your family. And when you lead your home and marriage in a sacrificial way, where you give up your own preferences, even if your wife tells you to turn off the football game at 3.15 today, Wives, please don't do that. <laughs> but the level of sacrifice that you are called to make is exactly what Jesus did. So our preferences shouldn't be that big of a deal. Man, I'm telling you, wouldn't you rather have a happy home than a bunch of toys? When we put our family's needs and wants above our own. That's not weakness. That's not shame. That's sacrificial leadership, and with it comes a victory, a victory that brings life to you, to your home, and to your children, and to your wife. Jesus Christ gave up his life for the church, and so men, this is what we get to do for our homes. And by it, we embody the gospel for our families, for our community, and for our world. Why? Because Jesus is our example. So be men of God's word, be men of Christ's love, and be men of sacrificial leadership. And so, church, young and old, ladies and gentlemen, wives and husbands, look upon Jesus as your Savior 
Look upon him as your example. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's prepare our hearts to worship. Father, we come before you. Father, with a great call on our lives, but Father, we are thankful that this call comes because Jesus has died for us. Jesus has taken our sin away. Jesus has triumphed over the grave so that we could have life, life in the fullest, eternal life, which starts now. And so, Father, I pray in response to this great call, in response to what Jesus has already done for us, Father, I pray by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, would you fill this place with the knowledge of the gospel, with the presence of the Spirit, that we may respond in worship to you, our great God, and to our King, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.